0: This is Set Aside Some Time, an MSPN podcast, and it's brought to you by the National MSP Network, or MSPN for short. And now, on to the episode.
1: Thank you for setting aside some time for us today. I am Bridget Smith, your host for today's podcast. And joining us today are Heather Schwartz Sanderson, and David Farber. Heather is the president of Sanderson Firm, a law firm founded by Heather, committed to providing comprehensive compliance solutions to the Medicare Secondary Payer Act, and David Farber, who is a partner at Kane Spaulding, specializing in litigation, regulatory matters, and public policy with a focus on healthcare and Medicare and Medicaid issues, Both Heather and David have been leaders in the Medicare secondary payer compliance industry and were instrumental in the drafting and passage of the PAID Act through their work in MARC, the Medicare Advocacy Coalition. Heather and David are also members of the MSP Network, and today we are very lucky to have them to talk about the PAID Act. Thank you, Heather and Dave, both for setting aside some time today to discuss this very important topic of the PAID Act. We know how intimately uh, both of you are involved in the creation and passage of the Act, and you both spoken extensively about the purpose behind the PAID Act and how and why the legislation was crafted, but today we wanted to really focus on the practical application of the PAID Act. So we wanted to start really with the responsible reporting entities, the RREs, right? If I am an RRE right now and I'm looking at what CMS has provided, what the PAID Act has said, and all of those updates, what can I do right now from a practical standpoint to prepare for that December 11th, 2021 date?
2: So if I'm an RRE right now, what I would be doing is looking to update um, the query response file so that it can now um, intercept the Medicare Advantage and the Medicare Part D enrollment information, assuming the RRE has made the decision to do so uh, because um, RREs do have the option of not updating their query response files um, to receive this information. I believe the vast majority of RREs will. So one thing would be, as I mentioned, getting that query response file set up and ready to intercede these files. Also, testing will begin in September. So participating in that testing that is being provided by CMS, I think is a really good idea just to make sure that all ducks are in a row. And then also preparing yourself, depending on the, the claim volume that you might have, preparing yourself. If you are going to now choose to take the Medicare Advantage and the Medicare Part D enrollment information, and you're going to be looking to proactively resolve conditional payments that may exist with the Medicare Advantage or Part C plan, which again, there's no legal obligation to do so. However, if you want to get in front of these liens coming later in the future, you might want to do so. So uh, making sure that your your organization has the bandwidth to to start dealing with these Medicare Advantage and Part D conditional payments that you know you might be looking to resolve proactively prior to settlement. What else would you add, David?
0: Yeah, thanks, Heather. I agree with uh, everything you said. I think uh, RREs need to know that there's a substantially greater volume of data that's going to be coming at them starting uh, with the PayDAC implementation in terms of the query response file. It's a significant number of uh, additional fields than the responses that that have historically been coming. And so when we say uh, get ready for this data, it's going to take some IT resources, some management resources, probably some other resources depending on your organization. But you need to take a hard look at, at just how much the query response is going to change to build out your systems accordingly. And I, I should add, by the way, um, whether or not you're using a reporting agent, this still applies to you because the reporting agent will receive those uh, greater volumes of, of response files, uh, greater, greater volumes of data, excuse me, in the response file, but need to communicate that to you. So, this really does affect all stakeholders. It's probably a one-time hit in terms of updating the systems, but now is the time to get prepared.
1: Thank you both for that. Heather, you hit upon something that I was going to to ask you both about. With the query being an optional function, right, RREs don't have to implement these, these changes per se, but what are some of the practical implications of not having that information readily available now that it will be?
2: Well, I think it's a lot of what we were saying prior to PAID Act is going to continue to occur to those REs that don't update their query response file to receive this information. I mean, we had so much of a large push for the PAID Act because there was no transparency to the primary plan as to Medicare Part C and Medicare Part D enrollment. And so what was happening to many primary payers in the industry was either they were receiving conditional payment notices from the Medicare Part C or D plan many years post-settlement after the Part C or D plan processed the Section 111 information or they're being sued without notice of any lien in a lawsuit, potentially by entities such as MSP Recovery LLC. So I think an implication there is that you're not going to have the transparency that, that is needed, and you may be hit with liens or or double damages lawsuits. And you know the way that MSP Recovery is going, I could see them crafting some sort of argument around the Paid Act, you know, regarding. The willful, and non-willful action of not updating the query response file. I could see MSP Recovery sort of making an argument that the RRE was perhaps, you know, not not staying up to standards and not doing all that they could to to be MSP compliant by not updating their query response file. This is all theoretical, of course, but there are a lot of implications, and I think you know it would behoove you know any any claims organization that is really looking to truly close down their file at the time that they're settling a claim. Um, to get this information and to resolve any Medicare Advantage or Part D conditional payments because, you know, the last thing you want is one of these, you know, coming years down the road when you think you've resolved your file. What would you add, David?
0: Again, agree with that, except um, the argument is already being made. Actually, it's been advanced by uh, Aetna in a case for, uh, currently pending in the uh, Second Circuit that the paid Act somehow creates some sort of obligation. That could not be farther from the truth legislative history makes it incredibly clear that that this is um, information that if it's helpful to RREs and they wish to take advantage of it, they can. But the law does not require them to do so. The law um, does not require them to contact MA plans to do any sort of reporting to MA plans. None of that exists in the law. To construe the Paid Act otherwise is to misunderstand what the Paid Act is and not uh, uh, appropriately read the uh, Uh, Clarity of the legislative history on this very point. Uh, You know, if an RRE chooses not to, um, they they, uh, do risk uh, a claim uh, coming in within what I believe is a three year statute of limitations that applies across the board here. Uh, You know, they may think they've resolved a claim in month one, and then a few months later, or or possibly a year or two later, a claim could come in against that file. The whole point here was to uh, expedite and facilitate claims resolution and claims closure um, in a way that benefits all parties. I, I might also add if RREs do take advantage of, of the uh, paid act to reach out to MA plans and Part D plans and those plans don't respond, I would view this as the Part D plans and the MA plans having waived their uh, right to recovery, although we'll see how the courts uh, deal with that argument as as the, the law unfolds. That being said, you know, there is there is no obligation, and we need to be crystal clear on this. And there is no harm or detriment to an RRE if they don't choose to accept uh, and, and uh, use the paid act data. You know, the other uh, part of this is that it's really a two-party uh, uh, or three-party bargain. You not only need Medicare to provide the data, which Medicare will, and the RRE to accept it, um, but you also need the plans to to uh, you know connect with the RREs respond to their inquiries when when they're made and uh, you know pro- provide claims resolution and we don't know how that third part is going to play out yet we, we're hopeful that the uh, RRE, that the uh, excuse me the uh, plans the part the and the MA plans will rise to the, to the moment uh you it's certainly in their interest to do so but time will tell on that one. That's
2: an excellent point, David. I'll just um, piggyback on that. I actually spoke with a pretty major Medicare Advantage plan recently. I wanted to get my thoughts on Section 111 reporting data because they're trying to look at the current data to assess how much they need to staff up for implementation of PAID Act to intercept now all of these calls and all these inquiries and letters coming in from the primary plans. Now that was a very major Medicare Advantage plan. And so I wonder, you know, David, to the extent that, you know, there's over what 8,000 Medicare Advantage plans across the country, I wonder if, you know, the vast majority of them are as proactive as this particular Medicare Advantage plan is being about this issue. I, I would venture to guess they're probably not, not that they're neglecting it, it's just, it's, it's a large lift and they might not realize what's about to come at them. So I think that's a really interesting point, David, that you made that, you know, if a primary plan knows of a Medicare Advantage or a Part Z plan, reaches out, sends notice, waits a reasonable amount of time, and the plan doesn't respond, I think, agree. You know, I would say that, you know, parties have the right to settle and move on. They've done, you know, more than enough.
1: That's very interesting. And I, I think you guys have identified that really there's going to be a lot of different or there can be a lot of different arguments on both sides, uh, legal arguments made on both sides uh with the implementation of the of the act. And I think that's really important and something that REs really need to consider as well, because you're you're right, it, it does work both ways, right? So along that those lines, and I think you kind of touched upon this a little bit, but we know that that part Part C has been a little bit more aggressive than than the Part D, Uh, but we're seeing more from from Part D plans right now. Do you think this will be the impetus for a more aggressive recovery efforts by these plans with the implementation of the PAID Act?
0: I personally don't don't think that will be the case. Uh, Again, time will tell. We'll see how how it all unfolds. What we do know is that many uh, insurers and self insureds around the country have for years been desperately trying to resolve these claims. And the MA plans and the, and the Part D plans oftentimes, you know, are, are too busy with other stuff to, to get involved. Yes, there have been test cases that Humana and now Aetna have brought. There's the MSP recovery uh, uh, wave of litigation, although none of those cases have uh, you know, been successful or come to fruition as far as I know. Um, Nor do I expect that they will, um, but that's for other reasons to be talked about at some other time. You know, the reality is that you know the the Part D and the MA plans have not risen to the occasion. My thesis is they have not done what they are supposed to be doing. You know, ever since they were created and and, you know and given a specific uh, MSP uh, uh, statutory right in their specific um, uh, you know MA statute, but you know, t- again, time will tell and we'll see what happens.
1: Heather, do you have any thoughts on that also?
2: Yeah, no, I, I agree with what David said. It's um, It's been interesting where we've really um, had a, a primary focus on the Medicare Advantage conditional payments. We haven't really heard a lot from the, the Part Z plans historically over the years. Um, I think there will be some, some more change, but I think it's going to be more driven by how much the primary plans actually reach out to the Part Z plans. The Part Z plans haven't really seemed to, have been as aggressive as Medicare Advantage plans over the years. We've seen them send out questionnaires to primary payers saying, you know, we know there was a claim made, like, what are the the related injuries? They don't seem to really have their act together just yet. But I think over time, slowly but surely, they'll get there. But Medicare Advantage will certainly be the main part of the Medicare program that's going to see significant growth in conditional payment recovery processes.
1: So... Um, from a technical standpoint, we know that REs are going to have to update their, if they choose to, to implement the the query, new query requirements, they're going to have to update their systems. But from a policy standpoint, there are other things that they may need to consider, and that includes how often to do the query. Have you guys addressed that before? Do you have any thoughts on that?
2: Yeah, I mean, and so I would say, you know, that the monthly query is still, you know, a good regimen, you know popping in the information on a monthly basis, continuing to do so, so long as the claim is open and just, you know, taking note of what's coming back from Medicare. And, you know, another thing that I talk to, to clients frequently about is not just, you know, picking and choosing which claims you query. This this was always, you know, a good policy outside of the Paid Act anyway, but, you know, you would be surprised, you know, I speak to people sometimes, they say, well, we're only querying our 65 and up claimants. Mm-hmm. Um, I know. And it seems for us in the MSP world, it seems my mind-boggling, but, you know, for those that don't have a lot of Medicare claims or those handling um, liability claims, you know, it typically have been over the years, you know, not as in the MSP realm. Um, they haven't had MSAs yet, and so they might be a little bit less compliant. So making sure they're querying every single file and doing so on a monthly basis would be um, the recommendation I would have.
0: I, I think that may bog down a lot of the bigger organizations, so I, I might slightly differ. Obviously, more current information is always better, but um, there comes a point of diminishing returns, both for RREs and, frankly, for the for CMS. You know, we, we see the the endless number of queries that are backing up because of ORM. You know, that's certainly a concern uh, for all stakeholders. Um, I, I think that uh, CMS's recent uh, modification to ORM termination uh, might help ameliorate some of that. You know, there there is a point where you know, just just from a systems perspective and a cost perspective, it may get prohibitive for all stakeholders. You know, it, it leads to a bigger question about is this the the right system that we ought to be uh, working within? I know it's the system that we have been working within, but doesn't necessarily uh, make it uh, the best system. You know, for for uh, you know ongoing liability claims, et cetera.
1: Yeah, that's a that's a good point too, David. And I think you know one of the things that is that Ari. RE- Grapple with right now. If they get a a hit, someone's a Medicare beneficiary, they can kind of take that out of the query and start reporting. We you have that information, but that might not be evident with the Part C and Part D plans till later down in the claim. So there has to be some type of decision made on how often you're going to query and and when you potentially take a claim out of the query process or put it back in the query process you know how that's going to unfold Uh, and along those lines with respect to policies and procedures you know now that you have this information regarding part c and part d plans you know what do you do with it and are there ways that, that you think organizations should handle at least the flow of that information or should consider when they get that information?
2: So I would say that, you know, as far as processes and procedures, then I think, you know, setting, setting a line of, depending on the value of the claim and depending on the anticipated conditional payment amount that might be with the Medicare Advantage or the Part D plan, determining at what threshold and at what point the claims adjusters might be reaching out to the Medicare Advantage or Part D organization. And then, you know, following through with that. And and I think you know, setting a time frame in which you know you would hear something back from the plan, and at a certain point, if you haven't heard anything back, determining whether you can move forward with settlement. So I think um, you know setting that up, de- determining when you're going to reach out to plans. You know, and an organization might set up that you know if a settlement value is more than five thousand dollars, we're going to we're going to reach out to Medicare Advantage and Part D plans, or they and they might decide that anything smaller than that it's nuisance value, the exposure on the conditional payments is not worth the time for us. Staff to reach out, you know, setting up things like that and making those sorts of decisions, I think, um, and having consistency across the organization could be helpful. What do you think, David?
0: Yeah, I mean, you know, sort of coming up with a plan and sticking with it. I, I agree. That's the way to go.
1: So along those lines, um, now with the, it's December 11th, I'm getting this information. You know, I'm a plaintiff. I'm no longer an RRE. I'm a plaintiff. What do I need to consider if I'm settling a case when I know that the RRE has this information? You know, I know we've all seen those settlements where the plaintiffs take on or the claimants take on the onus of satisfying the liens from the settlement funds, and at other times the RRE does. Does this change the the landscape of that, or, you know, what are some implications of that with the passage of the Paid Act after December
0: 11th? Look, I think it, it just makes settlement easier. There's just one more important and oftentimes missing piece of information that is now available on, uh, to the settling defendants, which is, are, are you in a, uh, a Medicare Advantage plan? You know, there was often uh, next to no way uh, to, to know the answer to that question and know what you were dealing with and deal with those contingencies And it is widely known across the Congress and among all stakeholders that Medicare beneficiaries are the least reliable source of information uh, to answer that question. It's it's the reality, but it's true. Uh, Medicare beneficiaries just know they're in Medicare. They don't know that it's an MA plan or which Part D plan. And if you ask them which Part D plan, they'll say AARP or something like that. They don't know it's United sitting behind AARP. So, um, you know, and and that was always a cause for concern in settling with Medicare beneficiaries. Now it's one more piece of information that will allow the settling defendants to, you know, know what they're dealing with, figure out how to resolve it going forward, figure out how to allocate responsibility between who's going to work it out with the plan and who's not, um, and indemnifications and all the other provisions that, you know, MSP related provisions that come into settlements these days.
2: Yeah, I agree with that. Uh, David, I I think that, um, you know, so to the extent of um, a settlement where, uh, Bridget, you asked the question where the, the plaintiff or their attorney might be controlling the reimbursement and how Paid Act uh, changes that, I think that, you know, to David's point, the, the transparency is now there, right? So in situations where the primary plan is going to allow the plaintiff or their attorney to reimburse Medicare, now they know there might be traditional Medicare involved and there also might be private Medicare, whether it be Medicare Advantage or Part D, And so typically what I recommend in those situations where the plaintiff or their attorney is going to control the reimbursement is to require some verification that payment was made within 60 days of settlement. We might all recall from the the Western Heritage case uh, a number of years ago that a private cause of action for double damages was determined to be ripe 60 days post-settlement. So in those situations, we have a situation with a Medicare Advantage or Part Z plan and the plaintiff attorney is controlling the reimbursement, the primary plan should then make sure to follow up, you know, prior to the 60-day timeline after settlement and make sure. That the plaintiff or their attorney not only reimbursed Medicare if there was traditional Medicare conditional payments, but also verify that they in fact reimbursed Humana or Aetna or whoever the Medicare Advantage plan was, and and look for that evidence. Otherwise, you know they they need to be really pushing the plaintiff attorney to to reimburse that because there could be still you know an, a cause of action that you know that settlement agreement which determines that the plaintiff or, or their attorney is going to reimburse Medicare or Medicare Advantage. Is great and your hold harmless language is great, but you know ultimately it's not binding to Medicare or the Medicare program, whether it be private plans as well. I mean, the the current code of federal regulations make it very clear that you know Medicare can pursue any party to the settlement, and so. Your, your settlement language should be um, very particular and concise as to obligations and just knowing that, you know, if you're going to allow the, the plaintiff or their attorney to resolve those conditional payments, that there should be some follow-up post-settlement, making sure that the Medicare Advantage and Part D or Medicare has been paid. Otherwise, you know, we have this potential for, um, you know, the double damages litigation, as I mentioned.
1: Great point. The other uh, question that I had as well uh, regarding the uh, Paid Act was really dealing with the time frame for this. I mean, do you CMS seems to be going full full speed ahead? Um, do you anticipate that as of December 11th, all of this will will go forward? And based upon the conversations that CMS has had with
0: the general public or the MSP industry? Right now, it seems to be on track, and I applaud CMS for that. You know, Congress deliberately chose uh, implementation within one year. There was conversation uh, extending that time period, but in the end, Congress decided to make the one year stick, and, and CMS seems to be on track. Again, bravo to them, and uh, we'll find out on December 11th. Right.
2: Yes, I agree 100%. The, the testing period and
1: the CMS webinar and the alerts that we've had and the the user guide is there anything particular that you think that you've taken from that that it is something that that's important for us all to consider um, at this point or beyond
0: December 11th um yeah i you know, continue to watch the CMS website heather made reference before to to the um Beta testing that, that's going to happen in the fall. And I think that will be an important opportunity, particularly for larger RREs, to get their feet wet with this and, and really experience what, what what it will be like to, to be exchanging all this information um, and hopefully build out uh, the SOPs as a result. Uh, but CMS um, has been very helpful in in giving us good information and early enough uh, right. so that RREs can plan. And we just you know, should continue to watch, you know, for what they post and and the trainings that they offer.
2: Yes, I agree. Just continue to keep an eye on the the testing, as David mentioned. And um, I think uh, Medicare also mentioned that if you use um, direct data entry, so if you've got like 500 or less claims, you can start seeing that Part C and D information um, as early as October 4th. So, those that um, do use DDE should uh, be ready for this even earlier. And I think I also applaud CMS for um, so diligently sticking to the time frame that was uh, required as part of um, the paid act.
1: Yeah, it really was a, a fast turnaround for CMS. So that was that was great to see. And um, yes, I it's not it looks to me like they're moving moving forward with this as well. In the time frame that that's required, so that's that's great news. Um, I want to thank you both for joining us today. You've really highlighted some important things that RREs and um, agents and plaintiffs need to think about, um, as well as defense counsel and plaintiffs counsel when they're considering the the practical aspects of the Paid Act. So we look forward to. Uh, More to come once this is all implemented from you both. And thank you for setting aside some time with us today.
0: Thank you, Bridget.
2: Thank you.
1: And thank you to our audience for setting aside some time to listen to our MSPN podcast. Our next episode is the MSPN 2021 Virtual Annual Education Conference, Surviving, Revamping, and Emerging Stronger. Thank you all. We hope you join us then.